and one last announcement. I hate to keep getting you up there. But. Also, this Sunday will be First Fruits, and we're, we're not going to, uh, we're going to do that along with the shoe donations, but we're collecting um, macaroni and cheese, cornbread mixes, soaps, and toilet papers. So anything like that or anything non-perishable that, that is not in a breakable <clears throat> container will take, but that's our emphasis for this month and for First Fruits, and those donations will go to CCA to help uh, families in Tarrant County that are, uh, you know, have a need of whatever this month, and there's a lot of needs with utility bills and stuff. It's taken away from groceries, so that'll be a, a big need this month. How many of you can say my utility bills have gone up? Oh, I believe in God, Jehovah Jireh. Amen. Well, it's good to have you. Boy, Sunday, I, the early service was good. The second service exploded. It was really good. We were just under 600 people Sunday, so it's growing really quickly, really growing. It's, a, it's just growing. And uh, so God is blessing. But more exciting to me than that is the spiritual fruit. And I see the spiritual fruit, and I'm thankful for spiritual fruitfulness. And I want to encourage you to keep on praying for us. And I'm, I do covet your prayers for the church and for a building and for the uh, 100 guitars, 500 guitars, and the 1,000 guitars of praise in October. And, um, well, I'll tell you, that's going to be something. So we're, we're going for souls. If there was ever a day that we needed to be going for souls, it's today. Well, we're going to look at Second Peter tonight. How many of you are hungry for the Word? Amen. Well, that's kind of convincing. I need a better amen than that, or I might just go on home. Amen. All right, all right. Stand up with me, would you? And we're going to read, as always, the first verse here. And I love this one. We're going to talk tonight about you will never fall. Did you know that Peter tells us in 2 Peter what to do to assure that we will never fall? Did you know that's in the Bible? That we will never stumble. How many of you would like that guarantee? Well, let's see what he, what he meant. Let's read this together out loud. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts tonight. Would you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. In Jesus' name, I receive your word. Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Let's look at this now. I love 2 Peter. Uh, we're moving right along through chapter 1. There's only three chapters. And um, let's talk about now what he was talking about here in verse 9. Literally, Here's what he who lacks these things means. To whom these things are not present, or in whom these things are not present. Now, these things are what we talked about in verses 5 through 9. Do you remember last week? Virtue, can we say them together? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Now, there's eight virtues. Now, I didn't name faith at the beginning, but add to your faith. And then there's, so there's eight virtues or Christian virtues that he discusses here in verses 5 through 9. So when he says, to whom these things are not present, he's talking about the person who has gotten saved, but has never developed these things in their life. Never developed them. I want to ask you a question tonight. Can you get saved and never bear any fruit? Yeah. Yeah, you can. 
Because remember, we talked about in 1 Corinthians 3, you can get to heaven with no rewards. You'll get in by the blood, but there's no fruit. There's no fruitfulness. There's plenty of people that are saved, and that's it. They never go on. They never grow. They're just saved. I know. I can tell the difference when I'm preaching to them. When they're just saved, they just sit there. When people are growing in God, and this is one of the things Peter is talking about in 2 Peter 1. He is telling us that by faith, we are to put on these things. By faith, we are to make these things our own. You don't sit around and wait for love to get you in a headlock and make you walk in love. We've got to get into our minds a concept, church. And here's the concept. Yes, fruit is grown and gifts are sown. Gifts are sown, fruit is grown. That's true. But Peter is talking about reaching out by faith and obtaining these things by putting them on like you would put a coat on, like you would put a shirt on. It's the same concept. He says, you've got to get eager about this. You ought to be reaching out for self-control, for these virtues. You ought to be reaching out for knowledge and patience and godliness, brotherly kindness and love. Where does patience come from? Why is it taking so long for me to experience serenity in rush hour traffic? Well, I can tell you I haven't experienced serenity yet, but I can tell you I've experienced some peace And the only way that I do is I make up my mind, I'm going to reach out in faith, and I'm going to put on patience. That's what the Bible says to do. If you're waiting for the feeling of patience to sneak up on you, it's not going to. Well, I feel like being patient. It's not, you're not ever going to feel like being patient when you're surrounded by nutcases on the highway. You got to put it on. You put it on. That's why one of Paul's favorite phrases was put on Jesus, put on love, put on the new man. What are you talking about, Paul? I thought it was going to grow. Well, it does, but you put it on. You add to your faith. You add to it. New concept for a lot of people. Now, the people he's talking about here are the short-sighted ones. King James says, blind, and they cannot see afar off. The Greek word was used to describe somebody near-sighted. You can see up here, but you cannot see far. You see near, but you can't see far. So he says, these people, Peter is speaking of a person who is short-sighted spiritually, seeing only things present and not heavenly things. These are the people who live in, in, in the natural. They do not live in a spiritual arena. They do not walk in the Holy Spirit primarily. They see this far. They see what's around them. But they are not seeing these virtues, for instance, and reaching up and taking hold of them by faith and putting them on. They're short-sighted. This is all I see. All I see is the way I feel. That's all I see is the way I feel. Do you know the Bible puts a premium on faith and minimizes feeling? Did you know that feeling is supposed to follow faith? Faith is not supposed to ever follow feeling. But in the West, in our culture, in popular culture, we're taught that everything is based on feelings. How many songs do you want to talk about? The thrill is gone. 
the feeling is gone and I can't fake it, so on and so forth. When the feeling is gone, the deal is over. But in Bible thinking, faith is what you walk by, not by the way you feel. So we've got to get past this. Short-sighted, spiritually people only see what they feel. They're walking in the arena of feelings and not faith. But according to Peter, we're supposed to be reaching up and grabbing these things and saying, I put on patience. I put on brotherly kindness. I put on love. Love is not a feeling. It's a decision. And feeling follows. Has forgotten means literally having taken forgetfulness. They have forgotten that they were, according to this verse, forgotten that they were cleansed from their old sins. What has happened to this person? They're short-sighted spiritually and they have forgotten that they were cleansed of their old sins. The same grace given to bring them to repentance is not utilized for the attainment of the higher virtues. They are idle, they are unfruitful. The one talent once entrusted to them will be lost having never been invested in the kingdom. They have forgotten. This is how you become a Pharisee. I want to just talk to you for a minute. This is how you become a Pharisee in the kingdom of God. How many of you remember when you were first saved? Such joy came into your heart. Hallelujah, I'm saved. Glory to God, I'm saved. I've got peace. That, that weight of sin that was on my shoulders is lifted. Everything looks cleaner, prettier, sparklier. I can tell there is a buoyancy that has come into my spirit. There is something that has happened to me. I've been saved. The Spirit of God has come into my heart. I've been born again. I'm a child of God. Abba, Father. Amen. Now, it's, so it's a, it's a major, major defining moment event. But now, the person that Peter is addressing here never moves on. And eventually, they just become a crusty old religious person and not somebody who's walking in the fullness of the personality and the character of Jesus Christ. They become judgmental, harsh, mean-spirited, nitpicky, Everything that's wrong, they find it as if they have a gift for it. Can I tell you, God never gifts anybody to find what is wrong. Because that's my anointing. No, that's not your anointing. That's your flesh. God doesn't gift anybody to find what is wrong. I have found that if you preach what is right, it shines such a light in the room that what is wrong is revealed. But see, what, the way somebody becomes a Pharisee is they forget what they were forgiven of. They forget that they had a million-dollar, billion-dollar sin debt with God. They forget. They forget that they were cleansed from their old sins. And because of that, they become unthankful. They become unspiritual. They're just, they're just people sitting in a pew Ask them why they're in church. They can't even tell you half the time. I think one of the sad things about America is any given Sunday, there's thousands of people sitting in churches and they can't tell you why. Why'd you come to church? Well, because we were supposed to. What are you doing here, sir? Well, my wife dragged me here. What are you doing here, ma'am? Oh, my husband wants me to come. Well, what do you expect to get out of it? Oh, I don't know. Hope to see Sue or Bill or whatever. See their new dress, new suit. Say hey shoot the breeze, chew the fat. 
You know how often you would hear, I just want to grow spiritually. I just want to grow spiritually. I want to learn more about Him. I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for Jesus. I'm hungry for the things of the Spirit. That's what Peter's talking about here. You don't want to be the person who forgot that you were forgiven. Amen? Can you say with me, I remember I was forgiven. Cleansed means washed. This person is not producing spiritual fruit. They're saved, but they're not producing spiritual fruit. Now here's the translation. Can we read it together? For he to whom these things are not present is blind, being short-sighted, having taken forgetfulness of the cleansing of his old sins. Well, let's just go on and read verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, I want you to follow Simon Peter here as he is being moved by the Holy Spirit to write these words. He's telling us that if you're adding to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance brotherly love and to brotherly love love, If you're adding these things to your life by faith, putting them on, you're not going to fall. Now, notice that the verse begins with therefore. Anytime you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. That's one of the keys to Bible study. Anytime you see therefore, you can know that something went in front of it that you need to remember because he's connecting one thought to another. So when you see a therefore, look and see what it's there for. So when he says therefore, what is he hearkening back to? All right? Peter is saying because of the exhortation and the argument in verses 5 to 9 on those eight virtues, that's what I'm connecting here. That's what I'm wanting you to catch. That's what we're talking about, how to add these things to your faith and what it will do to you when you add them to your faith. Even more diligent, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. When he says even more diligent, it's from a Greek word meaning to do your best, to bend every effort. This implies strong and eager cooperation with God. He says, make every effort. Make every effort. Now, this sounds like somebody to me who's going to the gym and working out. I mean, this sounds to me like somebody who's exercising spiritually. This is not somebody sitting and soaking and souring in a church pew every Sunday and the rest of the week. Ah, well, you know, my spiritual life, I don't even think about it really. I'm just paying the bills and trying to get by. I see this person here. they're, They're doing this. They're doing this. They're doing this. They're working out. Do you, do you hear the, the effort words to do your best, to bend every effort? Strong and eager cooperation with God? This is somebody whose spiritual growth is paramount to them. He says, to make your call and election sure. Now, what does that mean, your call and your election? It means make for yourselves, that is, satisfy yourselves that you are saved. Uh Uh-oh. Can I be sitting in church and not be saved? 
I believe the church is one of the greatest harvest fields in the world. I find that any church I ever preach in, there's people that are not saved. I find that the church harbors lost people. And because it's a church and they're in it, they assume they're saved. But a building does not save you. It doesn't save me. I'm only in a church because I got saved. If I'm not saved, I'm not going to go to a church, sing those weird songs, listen to somebody get up and talk from that boring book. No, I'm in church because I am saved. But there's a whole lot of people that think going to church has somehow made them right with God. It doesn't. Any more than putting a fox in a hen house is going to turn him into a chicken. It's not going to do it. Now, I know that's a silly illustration, but not really. A fox would have a better chance of being turned into a chicken in a hen house than somebody being saved by walking into a building. Mm -mm. All right? When he says, sure, make your call in election, sure. Can you say with me, sure? It means stable, fast, firm. The word sure has a legal sense. It is the legal guarantee obtained by the buyer from the seller to be gone back upon should a third party claim the thing. So when he says, sure, the readers are being exhorted to produce a guarantee of their calling and election. How can I be sure I'm saved? Well, I've got peace in my heart, but how can I be sure? Here's one of the ways that I can be sure. This may be done by the cultivation of the Christian graces mentioned in verses 5 through 8. If I see spiritual fruit coming forth in my life, that's one of the clear guarantee evidences that I have been saved. The eight Christian virtues don't save you. Being patient doesn't save me. Being loving doesn't save me. But their steady cultivation testifies that you are saved. Let me ask you a question. Since you gave your heart to Jesus, are you a little more patient? Are you a little more loving? Do you have a little more peace than you had? Are you freer from habits and vices than you were before? Do, do, do you pray more? I mean, see, there, see, what Peter's telling us is don't tell me you're saved and tell me there's no evidence. If you've been touched by the living God via Jesus Christ, there's going to be evidence in your character and in your life, and it's going to be steadily growing. It doesn't save you. It's an evidence that you have been saved. Oh, Pastor Jeff, wow. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, being saved shows you're not perfect. No, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about the evidence of the Spirit of God within you. So real. He says, make your calling and your election sure. Oh, let me back up a little bit and say, they are part, that is, those eight virtues are part and parcel of the fruit of the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Then he says, make your calling and your election Sure. Now, call and election refer to God's call to participate in salvation. While we are saved by grace, we are also called to cooperate with God in the working out of that salvation 
by growing in grace and producing spiritual fruit. God saves you by grace through faith, and it is all the work of God. But then you know what God says to you and me? He says, now, now we're going to start growing. Now we're going to produce spiritual fruit. Now, my number one goal in you is to work Jesus into your character. Did you know that, everybody? That's God's number one goal. His number one goal is not to get you out of trouble. His number one goal is not to deliver you from every problem you've got. His number one goal is to work Jesus into your life, into your character, where you are love like Him, are patient like Him, remind people of Him, walk like Him, think like Him, talk like Him. He said, I like Him so much, I want to see Him in all of you. The number one goal. That's what Romans 28, 28 and 29 are all about. He is able to make all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. What's His purpose? To form Jesus in every one of us. That's His number one goal. So in any trial, here's what you say. Lord, in this difficulty, what is it of Jesus you're trying to work into me? Is it love? Is that why you have put me working right next to somebody who it's like they're the fingernails and I'm the chalkboard? Is that what you're trying to teach me? Patience. Instead of saying you want out of everything, listen, Jesus didn't come to get you out of trouble. He came to get in trouble with you. He came to get into your trouble with you. Every once in a while, he'll deliver you out. But my experience has been most of the time, he's going to walk you through it, not take you out of it. And what is he doing? He's forming in you the makeup, the character of the Son of God. That's what he's doing. Now, we find God's part in this thing and our part in Philippians. Just one example. Read Philippians 1, 6 with me, would you? I am sure that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on. Who began the good work in you? He did. He began the good work in you. And who is Paul certain is going to carry it on? Him. Until it is what? Completed. And when it's completed, you're going to look just like Jesus. Now, that'll happen in eternity. But, but, until then, everything he does in your life is to work into you the character of the Son of God. So, so he says, until it is completed, and that will be on the day that Jesus Christ returns. So in chapter 1, verse 6, it's all God. But now look at chapter 2, verse 12 of Philippians, and let's read it together. So continue to work out your own salvation. Wait a minute. I thought he was going to do it all. No. There is a mutual cooperation here, isn't there? In, in chapter 1, we see, yeah, he's going to carry it all through, but now we're seeing there is a cooperation factor here with you and me. We cooperate. Now, let's read, it, let's read on. Do it with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. How many of you today woke up and there was something in you that wanted to please God? That's God working in you. Now, how many of you uh, obeyed God in some things today? 
That was God giving you the power to do it. So God gives you the want to do and then the power to do his will. And that is how we cooperate. He gives the grace. And do you know that the Bible talks about the grace of God can be frustrated? The grace of God can be frustrated in you and me. And so when we yield to what we know God is calling us to do, then we're cooperating with God in the process of him making us more like his son. Amen. Peter is telling us that the believer should make sure of the fact that he is saved by seeing to it that the Christian graces superabound in his life, eagerly seeking to apply them by faith, putting them on in obedience to Scripture. It's not talking about retaining our salvation, but whether or not we possess salvation. Peter believed that if you were saved, it would show. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it shows on you. In the Word of God, good. In the Word of God, just so rich. All right, let's move on here. It's so good. So go ahead and give the Lord a hand. That's all right. The Word is great. I love the Word of God. I do. I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. Now, let's, let's look here. It says, you shall never fall. If by faith you're adding these virtues to your life and you're moving on in obedience to Him, fall means to stumble to fall into misery or to become wretched. To me, that is a perfect picture of the backslidden Christian. You want to find somebody with misery on top of misery, with misery on top of that misery. Show me somebody who used to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, now they're backslidden. And I'll show you somebody with misery to the hundredth power. And this is what he's talking about. (laughs) Misery, wretched. It also means to strike one's foot against an obstacle and so to stumble. James told us the truth about ourselves. He said we all stumble, fall in many things. Tell the truth. How many of you tripped over something this week? You fell a little bit. You were not perfect this week. Well, the rest of you, you need to be up here teaching. We all fall in many ways. And what did James tell us was the way we most often fall? It's with that tongue. Oh, yeah. It's with those words. Oh, yeah. He said, we all blow it there. Now, if you are busy, here's what Peter is saying. If you're busy about making your calling and election sure, by living a holy life, Peter says, you will not stumble. If you get up and you say, today I'm putting, adding my faith virtue to virtue, self-control, self-control, patience, and so on and so forth. If you're actively pursuing To add to your character the character of Christ, it really diminishes the chances that you're going to fall. So can we read the translation? Wherefore, brethren, exert yourselves the more and bend every effort to make for yourselves your calling and choosing out sure. For doing these things, you will never stumble. Wow. All right, let's read verse 11. It's the last one we're going to cover tonight. Is everybody being blessed? Let's read it together. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I see this is the end of the process. One day, folks, 
there's going to be an, an entrance supplied to us abundantly to enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's, that's sort of like the cherry on top of the Sunday of godly living. You know, you're walking with Christ, you're adding these things to your faith, you're living with him, in Him, walking in the Spirit, investing your talents in the kingdom, and the day comes when there is an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God granted to you. Verse 11, yeah, the word entrance here, when he says an entrance is going to be supplied to you abundantly, the word entrance. Now here I told you every once in a while I'm going to use some Greek and it's going to be very easy. Don't freak out. Let me just look at this with you because it's important you get this Greek word. Entrance comes from the Greek word isodos. Can you say isodos? And I've got it spelled out there for you. Isodos. Ice, the beginning of the word, means into. It's the Greek word for into. Hados is the word for road. So, Isodos means the road into. Not just a road out there, but a road into. And the Greek construction is such that it's clear Peter is speaking of a particular road. Not any road, a particular road. Jesus said, for instance, that he was the way. And if you read that in the Greek language, the same word, hados, is used for the way. He said, I don't just know the way. I am the hados, the, the way into. Okay? The writer of Hebrews says, read it with me, would you? Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a freshly slain and living way, same Greek word, hados. Now, what's he talking about? The blood of Jesus, a freshly slain and living way into, road into. Well, Jesus was the freshly slain lamb. It's his blood he's talking about. So what road into did he provide? Well, here's what he's telling us. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is the one and only road into heaven. He's the one and only road. The hados, the way. No getting around it. So are we ashamed to stand up and tell people there's not a bunch of ways? There's not a bunch of options. You can't pick your God. There's only one way into heaven, one road particularly, and it's Jesus. I am the hados. I am the way. For so an entrance will be supplied, the words will be supplied means to richly supply. Richly is referring to the fullness of future blessedness. Let's read the translation. Uh, For in this way the entrance shall be richly supplied to you into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes I just want to go, you know, you just feel this sense of... um, you feel the, holy, the holiness of God and you feel the, the sacredness of His Word and you just want to stop and say, Lord, because it's so amazing what He's done. When that lamb was slain and His blood ran down that tree, God said, every 
center. You find your road home there. Black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor, newly born, almost dead. It doesn't matter. If you can make it to that cross and go by way of that blood, that blood is the road into heaven. It's the road. (sighs) So here's what Peter is saying. For this reason, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Peter is saying, I'm not going to be negligent. I will be prepared in the future as well as in the past and in the present to remind you of the truths you know whenever the necessity arises. As a church, no, I don't care what church it is, you should never, ever, ever, ever stop talking about the blood and the cross and repentance and the way. And any church that won't do that, I don't care how much money they've got, what their building looks like, how charismatic their preacher is, I don't care. I'm out of there. Because if they're not promoting the blood of the Lamb of God that made the way for me, I don't identify. Because that's why we're here. We're here because of the blood that made the way. All right. Now, Peter has been called the apostle of remembrance. He often talks about reminding God's people of crucial truths, which they knew, but they were inclined to sometimes forget. You ever noticed You forget what you ought to remember and you remember what you ought to forget. Have you ever noticed that? Isn't that just human nature? We'll sit all day mulling over something we should have forgotten a long time ago. And we ought to be sitting around mulling over something we ought to mull over every day. Like the blood, the cross, the goodness of God, the love and mercy of God. He says, though you know and are established in the present truth. Are established means to make stable to place firmly, and to set fast. Now, I didn't have as good a a, a transparency for this last one, so I'll read it for you if you can't see that as good. I ran out of transparencies, and I'm just using an old one. Okay. Now, this was one of King David's favorite descriptions of God, the one who makes your feet steady and stable. And listen to this. I pulled it out of the Message Bible, and I love this. David says, is there any God like God? Are we not at bedrock or standing on bedrock? Is not this the God who armed me, then aimed me? Well, I like that. He armed me, then he aimed me. Say with me, I'm aimed. I'm armed and I'm aimed. Once he arms you, he aims you. Amen. Gives you a purpose. Now, aim me in the right direction. Now I run like a deer. I'm king of the mountain." You protect me with salvation armor. You hold me up with a firm hand. Caress me with your gentle ways. You cleared the ground under me so my footing was firm. That's what Peter is saying had happened to his readers. All right? The readers had become stabilized in the truth. And they were in a state of being set fast, or we would call steadfast placed firmly on it. Their knowledge of the Word and the foundational teachings of the Christian faith were firmly cemented in their thinking. When he closes the verse out by saying in the present truth, he's talking about the truth that we as Christ's apostles have taught you. 
So here's the translation. Let's stand together and we'll close. Can we? Wherefore, I intend always to remind you concerning these things, even though you know them and have become firmly established in the truth which is present with you. Praise God. So, can you say with me, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, self-control, and to self-control, patience, and to patience, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you do these things, you will never fall. Amen. Praise God. I'm thinking of Jude's benediction here where he says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Now, Father, we approach your word. We thank you for teaching us tonight out of your word, for the Holy Spirit being present to bring these truths home. And, Lord, we pray that you will make us sure-footed. Arm us, Lord, and then aim us. And we thank you, Lord, that our lives are going to count for you and we're not going to be like that one who forgot that he has even been cleansed from his former sins and has gotten away from spiritual growth. Help us to be those who grow spiritually and produce the fruit of the Spirit. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.